lot going on here at the church right now. I'm Adrian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Carnegie Free. Get to be, great to be with you today. Um, we just mentioned VBS and want to let you know as well that if uh, maybe you have someone in your neighborhood that you'd like to invite to VBS this year, you can pick up these cards downstairs as you're getting your children from children's ministry and perhaps there's someone in mind that you'd like to invite. We're praying that VBS would be just a profound, wonderful opportunity to connect with uh, many kids outside of our church community, as well as to really help build up the kids within our own church community. And I'd invite you to be praying for those teachers and helpers and all the kids who attend this week, as that's a significant week for many kids in terms of their growth with Christ. Really encourage you to be praying for them this coming week. I wonder if you'd pray with me as we open up. Um, my heart's heavy. I need God's help to preach this message. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand if you'd pray for me right now? Okay, thank you. If you'll pray for me as I preach, I'll pray for you as I preach, and we'll trust in the Lord with it all. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. We do thank you that we get to be together here today. We thank you for the great things that are happening here right now, for the venue service that's starting up. We pray that that would be a wonderful offering in the next piece of our church's history. We, uh, we pray for VBS that's coming, and we ask that many kids will be touched for time and for eternity with the work that we're doing at VBS. We ask for all the volunteers and the helpers, you give them energy after those busy, long days in which they serve. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be here today. So much seems wrong today, but we are in exactly the right place to be here together, gathered together as a church family. We trust in you to be front and center in our minds, asking you, Lord, to form us, to challenge us, to comfort us where we need all of that. We love you, Lord. I, I ask for your help. I thank you for my friends here in this room. I don't want another talk from Adrian. Lord knows we don't need that. We need Christ, the living God. So may he be front and center for us today in all that I say. May it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your prayers. I appreciate it. Uh, let's turn here to uh, Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to be this morning in Daniel chapter 3 and 6, reading large portions of both. Sometimes preaching from the Old Testament can be difficult because there are long narratives. In order to paint the scene, you have to... Uh, read large portions of Scripture, a little bit different though, than preaching from one of the epistles of Peter or Paul, for example. What I'd like to do here before we jump into Daniel 3 and 6 is to give a little bit of a recap of what we're doing in this series and where we've been. We've titled this Thriving in, in Babylon, in which we examine the book of Daniel, which was Babylon. And we've said, you know, we live in a culture today that is rapidly changing. And for those of us who feel like we're in the backwash of this rapidly changing culture, sometimes it kind of feels like you're dangling, and you look down, and down beneath you is like quicksand. Anyone else? I mean, that's a description of what our culture feels like sometimes as it's shifting so rapidly, and you don't know what's coming next, and you sometimes just don't feel safe in the midst of it. And as a result of that, many Christians see the rapidly changing culture and they say, this is a time for despair. And I want to tell you, as I've been saying over this past couple of weeks, and I'm going to continue to say over the course of this series, this is not a time for despair. This is a time for hope. This is a time for great opportunity. Because it's in the midst of these times with rapidly changing culture that many people come to realize that marginal Christianity won't do. Many people come to realize that cultural Christianity won't do. 
Many people come to realize that it's time to take seriously what we believe and why we believe it and how we can make a difference for the cause of what God really wants done in our world. So as perhaps our land is getting darker, I think this is a great opportunity for, for us to shine all the more brightly. Weeks one and two in this series, quick recap, in week one, we talked about a number of postures that we could take toward the culture at large. And we looked at Daniel for these and the way he took different part, postures to the culture at large when it, things like, when it felt like things were changing, when it felt like he was dangling over quicksand. And one of the postures the church has taken over many centuries is this uh, posture of just kind of folding in to the culture at large, assimilating in to the culture at large, and being one with everyone all around us, such that we basically say like this sign, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Let's just get together and sing Kumbaya. You know, it's, it's, it's that idea, let, let's not identify anything that's wrong or different in terms of ideas. Let's just pretend that we're saying the same thing and assimilate to the broader culture. That's one response. Another response, though, that we talked about was uh, let's fight with the broader culture. Go into battle mode with those who disagree with us as Christians. And it's envisioned with these soldiers going into battle at which time we remind ourselves, if we're tempted by that, the battle is not against, it's not against flesh and blood, thank you. It's against the powers and the principalities, the evil forces of this world. It's against the enemy of our souls, not against other people. Which we have to remind ourselves, because it's really easy to go into battle mode against people. But the moment you do that, you cease to love people. Another option that many people have taken is the fortress mentality in which we hide from all those that we disagree with. And the church is this fortress. It's a castle with a moat around it and it's kind of a two-four shut the door mentality. I'm scared of you all. Now Daniel gave a different tactic and Jesus of course does as well. He says that we are to be the pleasing fragrance of Christ. To be in the world but not of the world to make a difference wherever God would plant us. And you see uh, this idea of being a fragrance of Christ from the Apostle Paul and other similar metaphors that we see in the Bible is that the, the people of God, the family of God, are called to be salt of the earth, preservative for those around us. We're to be light of the world. That as things get darker, we're to show light. We are to be a lighthouse. We are to be a city on the hill. All of those metaphors that speak to this common reality, we are to make a difference wherever God puts us. That was week one. In week two of this series, we talked about two primary realities. The first one is that God's uh, discipline always begins in the home. And so there's this natural tendency that we all have to look outside of the church when things are going wrong and to blame others. But we remember that God begins with discipline in the home, and so he would invite us not so much to look out the window, but instead look in the mirror and say, God, where have I failed your standards? Where have I missed the mark? If your discipline begins at home, let's start here in the church and ask that. The second thing, though, that we talked about is God is in charge of those who are in charge. And so by implication, we are called on to pray for our leaders, pray for those who are in positions of authority. And so we spent some time doing that last week, praying for our governor and our president, and, and we want to give thanks and pray for them to bend to the will of God. All of this is part of learning to thrive 
in Babylon. God would have us bloom where we are planted. You look up at this wildflower on the window, and you imagine there's desert all around, and he would invite us to bloom in the midst of the desert to gain influence in Babylon. And we ask the question, how do we increasingly gain credibility while we have time here in our community of Kearney, Nebraska, or wherever God might call you to? And to get there, I'm going to give, um, we're going to give over the course of the next three weeks a mini-series on how we increasingly gain credibility in the world we're living in. So the next two weeks, I'll lead, and then the third week, John Watson will lead, and we'll be looking at these three basic words that we see from Daniel and his friends for gaining influence, gaining credibility, right where we live. They are courage, humility, and wisdom. These three uh, essential characteristics that are required if we are to gain influence where we live. And these first two specifically go hand in hand. You can't have courage without humility, and you cannot have humility without courage. If you have courage without humility, you go out with guns blazing and you make foolhardy mistakes and you die a quick death. If you have humility without courage, you become a doormat. Neither of those will do. What God invites us to instead in Babylon is humility plus courage. When you see people who have both humility and courage, those are people that are knocking down the doors of hell. Those are people who are learning to thrive in an ever-changing culture. And what I'm asking God to do here, what I'm trusting God will do over these three weeks, is grant a renewed confidence in hundreds of us. Over the course of these three weeks, that he'll grant a renewed confidence, a renewed hope, that this is not a time for despair, this is not a time to be scared, this is a time for optimism about what our God could do through ordinary people like us. Sound good? That's what we're going after. Sound good, anyone? Okay. Glad to know you're with me. Join me now in uh, Daniel chapter 3. We'll be in Daniel chapter 3 and 6. I'll be reading this morning from the English Standard, Standard Version. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. And uh, I encourage you to read these chapters in full this week. Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. A cubit was roughly a foot and a half. So he made an image of gold that was 90 feet by nine feet. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the other officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If only they just had a unicambral, this would be much easier. <laughs> and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Again, a 90-foot image. They're standing before it. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image. 
the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace. And that's the setting. And we're about to see these three young men named Daniel, excuse me, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel is away on official business, away from Babylon. But these three young men are being told, they are amongst these governors in Babylon, and they're told that you're not just to worship the one true God of Israel, you're to bow down before this 90-foot golden statue. What are you going to do? You see, these three young men, they've already had their names changed to reflect the false gods all around them. And they've already had their diets changed. And they've already been schooled in the educational system of Babylon for three years and all kinds of false ideas. And they submitted to all of that within Babylon. But one thing they say we will not do is bow our knee to that false image. That we won't do. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears... The band shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, there are certain Jews from among you whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Don't miss their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to even answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Woo! Boldness. Strength of character of these young men. We don't care what you will do to us. We are trusting in our God. And even if our God doesn't rescue us, we won't bow down. So Nebuchadnezzar is filled with rage and he wipes his hands and he 
throws these three boys into the fiery furnace. He stokes up the fires of the bonfire, and he expects moments later to see the bones. And so we see in verse 24, he declares to his counselors, Did we not cast these three men bound into the fire? And they answered to him, True, O king, we did. And he answered and said to them, But I see four men now unbound, walking in the midst of that fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar pulls them out of the fiery furnace. And as the story goes on, he begins to worship God. He's duplicitous in his worship. He's kind of like a cafeteria Christian. He takes some of God this day and some of his golden statue the next day. Our focus is not on him. Our focus is on these boys and the courage that they have to stand up to him. And that fourth figure that is in the fiery furnace with him. And you see this alluded to from Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I see these four men and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Who is that? I believe it's Christ himself. And what you should get out of this, the insight that you want to write down, is that we grow in courage as we know that Christ is with us in the midst of the fire. Now some would argue that these are, this is an angel in the midst of the fire with these three boys, and that's possible. We don't want to be dogmatic about it. But it's really interesting that verse 24 says, in the midst of the fire was one like a son of a God. And Jesus, of course, called him the son of God, called himself the son of God. And one of the names that we have of Jesus was Emmanuel, which is God is with us. God's with us. And so here, I believe, is Jesus with these three right in the midst of the fire of their lives. And I hope you can take away from this story, this truth, that whatever fire you are in, God is in the midst of that with you. It's not insignificant. It's not coincidental that, Je that Jesus rescued these boys from within the fire. God could have put the fire out. God could have cordoned them off from the fire. But the normal way of God doing things is typically this. We go through suffering. We go through experiences of great pain. And then we find God is with us, granting us grace and mercy and strength to help us at our time of need, right smack in the midst of that fire. And this we can count on. Some of you have family members who now refuse to talk to you, or friends who have rejected you because you've taken a certain stance, kids who have become prodigals, those are fires. And you've got to trust with me that Christ is with you in the midst of that fire. You respond to those by drawing near to God and finding that he draws near to you. Others of you going through the, the fire of depression, people here go through the fire of depression or, or the fire of rheumatoid arthritis or of a cancer or some other crippling malady and that's a fire and the response in each of these is to draw near to God and find that God draws near to you in the midst of that fire flip over to Daniel chapter 6 and we'll see how from Daniel as well, he's in a very similar predicament as these three boys. He's about to go into the lion's den 
now under the king of the Persian Empire, as the Persian Empire has defeated the Babylonian Empire. And the main difference between the Persians and the Babylonians is the Persians use lions instead of the fire for these dissenters. And Daniel, once again, refuses to bow down to the king's idol, refused to bow down to the king. And he is as wise as a serpent, and he is as innocent as a dove. And these other counselors want to set Daniel up, but it says in verse 4, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he's faithful and no error or fault was found in Daniel. In other words, he was above reproach with Jews and Gentiles alike. Then verse 6, it says, These high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. We have come to kiss up to you. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to you, to any god or man, for 30 days except for you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So what they're saying is, uh, sign this law that if anyone else prays to anyone else besides you and your gods for the next 30 days, they'll be killed. They'll be sent to the lion's den. And what does Daniel do? He just goes on with life as usual. He continues to worship God the same way as he always has. He continues with prayer and solitude and the scriptures. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He drew near to God. In solitude, said, whatever they might do to me, I, I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to go crazy on Facebook. I'm going to go alone with my God. I'm going to pray. He takes perhaps these fragments of the scrolls of the Old Testament that survived the burning of the temple in Jerusalem. And he takes those with him. And he studies those and he prays. And again and again he trusts that whether I live or die, God will meet me right here. Now, we need to just declare that if we ever, ever run into something like this, we very well may perish. And that was true for many other people in Babylon who served God faithfully. And tragically, that's been true across the history of the church, that many people have served God faithfully, and the result has been off with your life. But we hold on to this fact as we acknowledge that very real possibility as our culture becomes increasingly godless, we acknowledge the very real possibility that someone could bring harm to us just for following our God. But ultimately, what can man do to you? Ultimately, man can't do nothing to you. And what has been proven again and again is that the blood of the martyrs has become the seed of the church. Be it in South Sudan, or in India, or in China, or in the Middle East today, and we trust that even in the future, God will continue to do great work through the courage of ordinary Christians who follow him no matter 
the consequences. I, I mean, really, I think we should remind ourselves on a regular basis that if someone were to take our life, then what happens? Real life. Paradise. What can man do to you? Jesus says this, do not fear man who can only hurt your body. Fear only God who can kill both body and soul in hell. Reverence God alone. Do not fear any man. For to live is Christ, to die is gain. This grants us courage to follow Christ. Courage to stand with him. And in truth, if you're not willing to stand for something, as the old saying goes, you will fall for, you'll fall for anything. So as for me and my family, and I pray for this church as a whole, we will stand with Christ. We grow in courage as we say yes to God, no matter the consequences. And we all have fears about this. I certainly do too. But God rewards us and he grows our backbone when we respond to his commands with simple obedience, regardless of any consequences that might come our way. I think of the middle schoolers and the high schoolers in this room today. Do you, do you know these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're teenagers. They're teenagers when they go before Nebuchadnezzar. And, and they say, who are you? What are you going to do to me? I mean, they, they respond to Nebuchadnezzar's decree, not by getting loud and obnoxious, but with simple, bold reverence for God and obedience to God, no matter the consequences. And then God used that to bring Jewish people toward himself and ultimately to draw the Jewish people back toward their land many, many years later. He used this boldness of these three and Daniel later on. They don't look for death, but neither do they shrink from it. They refuse to betray their God, even the light of very real possibility that they might die for their stance. Look once again at verse 17 and 18. In fact, let's read this out loud together. My voice could use a little breath. Would you join me? Verse 17 and 18. Read this out loud. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But if not, be it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. We're not going to do it. We're going to stand for Christ. We're going to stand for truth. I mean, raise your hand with me if that inspires you to hear three teenagers saying that. Okay, I see about 75% of you with your hands raised. The rest of you still sleeping from cruise night? Is that what's going on? Listen, if you have a pulse, this is going to inspire you. Because courage calls deep into our souls. There's never been a culture in all of history that doesn't value courage. There's never been a woman who doesn't want a man with courage. There's never been a man or woman who doesn't value courage. Every religion in all of history values courage and hates cowardice. That's a fact. What we all see people who are willing to run into harm's way and, and it rises something deep in our souls, doesn't it? In order to care for people who are in need. You know, we see those who go out of their way to, to regularly care for foster kids. 
And we say, what courage that inspires something deep within me. We see those who, who would rescue those who are under the hand of oppression, put themselves in harm's way to care for others who have great need, and it always inspires us. It's part of the way God has made us. It's part and parcel of our very soul to be inspired by courageous acts. Well, let me just dispel the myth that courage means not ever having fear. You can easily have courage and lots of fear. It's just that people who have courage, people who are growing in courage, work through their fears by relying on God, seeing those fears, and choosing to walk right through them by God's help. I can tell you many times in my life I've shrunk back and thought, I'm not going to do that. And God then gave me strength to go after it anyway in spite of my fears. And that grows courage. Last week I saw a video of two groups of people, just a one-minute video, both of whom had fear for the other side. At least that's the way I took it. And one group was a group of African-American protesters on one side of the street in Dallas. And then on the other side of the street was a group of white counter-protesters. And they're looking back and forth at each other, and there's fear on both sides of the street. And then the most remarkable thing happened. I want you to take a look. Is that sweet or what? <laughs> Anyone? I tell you, I, I've watched that probably ten times. And every time I watch that, my spine tingles. And every time I watch that, I begin to well up in tears. Because this is portrait of loving other people who are different than us, who are likewise made in the image of God, and choosing to act with courage. Choosing to rise up and say, you know what? I am not allowing my fears to conquer me. I might have suspicion, for those people across the street, but I'm going to walk against my suspicion. I mean, you saw those on the African-American side walk across the street with their hands up in peace, and they begin hugging and praying together. Do we not need more of that today? Please, Jesus, please. Yes, we need more of that today. What I, what I want to tell you, what I want to tell you is your courage will grow as you choose to take small risks like that for God and for other people. That'll grow your courage. And, and some of us in this room, this is, the, this is the truth, some of us in this room haven't taken a step of courage for God, haven't taken a step of, of faith, a risk for God in many years, in a long, long time. And if you don't, you won't grow. But if you do, you'll grow. And so what is it for you today, what small step of courage, what small risk might God have for you to do today in order to, to grow as you reach out to someone else? For some of us, it might be just what we saw in that video. It could be walking across to the other side of the tracks and getting to know someone from a different background than yours or a different economic status than yours. For some of us, it might be the bold decision to seek a reconciled relationship with someone that we know is against us, seeking reconciliation with someone in our family, that would be a risk. For others, it might be the bold step to share the love of Christ with someone that you've known for a long, long time, and you know they don't know Christ, but they don't know where you stand. 
Are you willing to take that step of risk? For, for others, there, there's some in this room that, that come in and just asking questions week after week about faith, and we're glad you're here asking questions, seeking answers. Keep coming back. So glad that you're here. But there will be a day that you have to make a decision, and perhaps today would be the day that you would say yes to the living Christ who is moving near you. Would you draw near to him as well? That would be a step of courage. If the events of the past weeks tell us anything, we don't know how many days we got, right? Some of us needed to make the courageous step of, of saying, I'm not going to be tied to my wallet. It's not all about my money. It's about asking the question, how can I better serve God with the resources that he has given me? It's going to be different for all of us, but I pray that we would be the kind of church, we would be amongst the Christians who are willingly to boldly step out in faith, to take courageous stands for what God actually wants done in the world. Let me give you just one more example. We just heard of the International Student Friends Program at University of Nebraska Kearney, and what a courageous and wonderful step that could be to go out of our way for the 51% of international students who come right to our doorstep and don't ever get invited into an American family's home. Isn't that sad? The families would come here from all over the world, and 51% of them wouldn't get invited to American families' home. This could be a bold step that God would invite many of us to, to invite someone from a different culture into our home such that we can learn from them. Now, this doesn't require the courage of Daniel with the lion's den. These kids are much nicer. They're generous African students and kind South American students and uh, gracious Asian students, lovely students who just want to come into your home and get to know a little bit more about American culture and get to know more about a family and perhaps even ask questions about your faith. But it will be a risk to invite someone from another culture into your home. And you got to believe that when you do, God will be with you there as you take that step out in faith. Who knows what God might do? When I was 19, 20 years old, I went to Hastings College for my first couple years of college, and I got invited into a family's home through the church that I attended through their Adopt-A-College student program, and I was from a different, col different culture than Hastings, Denver. Maybe not across the world, but it felt like a different culture. And they invited me in their home month after month after month, and I saw the profound testimony of what a Christian father looks like as he loves his kids. I saw the profound testimony of how a Christian man loves his bride and how she loves and respects her husband. And it made a significant impression on me such that I wanted much more of what they had, which I had not witnessed before. Who knows what God might do as you take a small step out as you take a small risk for those who seem a little bit different. Now, join me in this for just a moment. Do you know God has called us to reach the nations? Come on. Hasn't he? Has God called us to reach our neighbors? Anyone? Okay. How about this fact? God has brought the nations to our very doorsteps such that we can reach our neighbors right next to us. Can I get an amen to that? The kindness and the mercy of God to bring them right here. Sometimes God might call you to be a missionary overseas, and sometimes God might call you to be a missionary to people that he's brought from all over the world 
right here to Kearney, Nebraska. Who else can give God an amen to that? Man, I pray that we would see dozens of people come out of this church to care for international students right at our doorstep. Maybe God would have you do that today. Or it might be some other risk. I don't know what it'll be for you, but I just want to close this message by saying this. Do it. Don't think about it. Do it. When we think about it, and we allow the tyranny of the urgent to come in, we get more rooted in our inflexibility, and cowardice can take over. When we go after the risk that God would have us go after, courage grows. And we find that God is right there with us, emboldening us, granting us greater credibility and greater influence right where we live. Would you join me in prayer? God in heaven, thank you. We thank you that you call us to risk. It's very easy to live in a comfortable community like ours and never risk for God. And so we confess to you, Lord Jesus, as one church, Carney, Evangelical Free Church, we don't want to be that. <laughs> we do not want to be that. We want to be those who risk for the one who gave his all for us. Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the credit as we look to you, as we ask for your help, as we step out in faith, as we, small take, as we take small risks for God, as we seek simple acts of bravery for the cause of Christ, perhaps with other people in this room, perhaps with other people in our families, perhaps with people on the other side of the tracks, perhaps with students on campus, we avail ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. Use us for what you want done here in Carney. May it be so in Christ's name. Amen.